This is the Living Fearless Today podcast, a show that helps men like you and me who are struggling to get unstuck and overcome fear to live confidently and courageously. I'm your host and transformation coach, Mike Forrester, helping you create the change you want now. Join me as I interview men who've conquered their challenges and soared to success as they spill their secrets on how they live fearless today. Hello and welcome back, my friend. And this week I'm joined by Aaron Shelley. And Aaron, just we've had some conversations before this. Dude is really easy to relate to. And I think you're going to just hear from his story that it's like perseverance just comes through and uh, just keep on keeping on. So I'm really excited to uh, have Aaron join us today. Aaron, how are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing great. Excited to be here. Awesome. Well, why don't we start out with what does life look like on the professional side today? On the professional side right now, I'm, I've kind of reached a point in my career where I don't need to work. I've got to a point, I mean, I'm 45, kind of made some investments and had a good exit from this last company I was with. So I am now in the point of building a company around the, the book that I've done around family and how can I support family? Because when I look around at society, I can't think of anything more important for our society than building strong families. Yeah. And the book you're talking about is Family Flywheel, right? Yep. Okay. Very cool. But what about on the personal side of life today? What does that look like for you? On the personal side, I've got, I'm married have four kids. I've been married for 24 years just recently. So that's great. I have a daughter who's married and she's a doing nursing. I have a son who's on a religious mission in Zimbabwe. And then I have two daughters that are in high school. One will graduate this year. And then the next one will graduate next year. So I'm a year away from the empty nest, I hope. <laughs> well, congratulations on your anniversary. And man, I hope your uh, your transition into empty nest is a little uh, smoother. <laughs> we thought we were there. And then we went into regressions, <laughs> retrograde. So, <laughs> well, yep. it's always a challenge. Yeah, it definitely is. Well, why don't we jump back to uh, when you were graduating, you got your MBA and, uh, you know, you, you had the opportunity to, to move and, and go join up with Intel and you made a different decision. Can you kind of give us some more um background on what was going on and then how things progressed from there? Yeah. So I had, like you say, I just graduated with my MBA, which I got more from a frustrated stance of, I was an engineer and then I got frustrated by the business people screwing me up. So then I'm like, I'm going to go understand what they get. And so I did that. And then I also read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, if you're familiar with that, where it's like, you want to own assets. And so my wife and I had been running a little bit of a school when we were in college. And then the option was, well, do we just abandon the school, go up to Intel, you know, do the general MBA thing. And then you're just kind of constantly moving to try to optimize your money from what I, I've seen and experienced. Or we said, or we could find a house with a studio behind it and then have my wife and I continue doing the dance business. And then I could go find other work to, you know, supplement that, but then we'd be building up the asset. So that was kind of the thinking behind it. 
Um, it worked out well, but the mental stress of getting to a happy place when you have, I mean, I got in, we, I had some help from my father-in-law to get the house, but then I have no job. We're investing in this studio, a good, I mean, I think we ended up putting 10 or $20,000 into it. And just to get it up and running, uh, actually had a horrible moment with the city where they said, Hey, you can't actually run a business behind your, your, your house. We have no ordinance for that. And I was like, wait a minute. The guy was by, he was doing a business behind his house. Why can't I? So there was this whole, like, did I just buy a house and now I'm going to be screwed. So then I went and talked to him, had to go pay for them to put an ordinance in place, get it passed through the city. I mean, that was a big heart stopper there. Just like, uh, that would have been a cluster. So then we got that done, but then it was this big investing into your assets and getting the studio up and running. And, you know, it was a cabinet shop before. So then we had to put money into it. And some of my time, I didn't have a job immediately. And so I'm doing a lot of the work, putting in the windows with my father-in-law, doing all the drywall, putting in a, you know, water, air conditioning, heating, those type of things. But it was just like watching my all of my money go down and going, I need to get a job. And because my, you know, having an engineering and an, and an MBA is kind of a weird combo. It's great if you're going and working for Ford Motor Company or Schneider, these bigger companies. But when I was here in Utah, it was, we don't have a lot of jobs for you. Sorry. <laughs> so I kind of spent the 18 months out of the three years, the first three years, like getting a job, not having a job, you know, so 18 months unemployed was brutal for me. I think I had a pregnant wife at a point in there. So it was just like, you know, multiple kids, two kids, a pregnant wife, and the labor situation, my income was just all over. Um, I had a spreadsheet called How to Die Financially, where I was graphing when I would run out of money. So it was not a happy place. I was going to say, that sounds like uh, back up against the wall. like. How do we dig out? I mean, how did you keep going during that time? Because it's like I've been in a similar situation and it was just like, oh, my word, like, let's not have another shoe fall. We've had enough of these, you know, and uh, but my mind would go towards what's the worst case scenario. Oh, my gosh, my wife's got to be thinking this about me. I mean, if there was an area to like paint black. I probably did it. I mean, how, how did you, you're obviously, you know, you were obviously able to make it through that successfully because you guys still have the dance studio, but how, how did you traverse through that? How did you kind of keep the relationship with your wife and, and yourself? Okay. Well, yeah, it, I think a lot of it was my wife sticking with me to continue to encourage me. My dad also, was constantly coming and, you know, here's some books I bought for you. Here's how can I help you? It was really fascinating when I look at it in retrospect, it was super financially, it felt super financially stressful because I was looking into the future. But the reality is I actually didn't need any financial help. It was much more of the mental help that was brutal. You know, like when you don't have a job and then you go to church and then everyone's talking about, Hey, you're supposed to provide and protect for your family. And you're just like, well, now I feel like crap and I feel like no one else knows how I feel. So there's so much of an isolating effect. And I actually had someone, you know, some of my relatives told my wife that they should, that she should leave me during this period. So there was 
a whole bunch of that, like very negative perception. You know, like he needs to get a job and you're like, dude, I'm doing everything I'm applying. I'm doing it. So a lot of it was just, you can do the things you can do and just keep applying, keep going through those experiences. If you stop, then your odds are zero. <laughs> you know, you always kind of have to keep going but there were points when I'm like, I've applied for all the jobs that I can see that are new this week. Okay, now I'm going through it again. And I was reaching out to friends. It's just like going through it and saying, I got to keep going. I have to keep trying stuff. And at some point, you know, I looked at it and said, well, if, if I can't find a job and we can't survive off the studio, then I'll have to make some drastic changes, maybe go move, you know, follow this other path. But I think it was the support of my wife, as well as with my my dad really coming and saying, we got this. And I think he didn't, he didn't say it, but I think the message was, don't worry about like, you'll, your kids aren't going to go hungry. You're not going to go hungry, but it was just that stress of kind of feeling like I had to do it all myself. But it was, to me, it's, there's a side of, you can't stop going, you know, sitting in bed, isn't going to solve the problem ever. So <laughs> it's like, you just have to keep doing and doing what you can and reaching out. I mean, there were a number of friends, different people that I reached out to but it was still super challenging. Yeah, I I can definitely relate. What would you say in looking back in retrospect would have been most helpful? Because you said it wasn't the finances that were really actually the problem, even though you felt like they were, but it was more mental. What would have been more helpful or beneficial that could have been done during that time? Just looking back. I think if I, the, I, think if I had had more male friends, other guys that I could spend time with, even if it's just playing games, just connecting with, I mean, I moved into this new house and then I had very few, and you know, I was moving is always kind of feeling it does a serious blow to your social connection. So going from college, you know, getting good grades, you're going through this and then you come here and you just feel isolated. So I hadn't had time to really invest socially. And it's a weird dynamic where when you're in those situations, the thing you want to do most is like hide because you feel so ashamed, you feel so worthless. And yet the thing I should have been doing and probably would have got me through faster, got me a job faster is reached out and been like, I got this time. I'm going to serve people. How can I serve? How can I help? Because I had so much energy. I think we as men were doers generally, I want to do something. And so when you're in a situation where you're like, what can I do? And I don't know what to do. That's when it gets really frustrating and the energy builds. So I think Instead of trying to spend, if you can't find, you know, a job, I would say go invest in your community, go invest in those relationships, because we all know on the other side, when you do have a job, it's often very difficult to invest in the relationships, right? So I would say, you know, go join groups. I, I had a church group that I, you know, I, I go to church and I had different things. We'd play sports together and whatnot. But I think if I had been more active in my reach out, I could have shortened that cycle and also helped me just go through it. Understood. And having that community and those relationships can definitely help keep you more afloat than when we isolate and withdraw. So I fully understand that. Um, mm -hmm. So things started picking up after the 18 months. You guys obviously didn't have to, like, you know, move to Portland or anything like that. How did things continue to progress from there for you? Well, so I got a job at Ancestry.com, if you're familiar with that. Mm -hmm. Right. So, and all of a sudden, you know, we had been surviving at such a low level. Then all of a sudden I got a job and it's like, wow, we have so much more money, <laughs> you know? 
And then we were kind of building up to reserve. And then I had, you know, 2004, 2005, six, like the market was really picking up. Real estate was going well, especially here. There's so many people building, building spec homes and that type of stuff. So in 2007, I was like, all right, I think we should do this. We should go, you know, invest in real estate. So we went and and did a spec home and kind of closed, I think, on that at about 2007, where we were going to build it. We had a builder and all, everything worked out. And then 2008 hit, I think it was the end of 2007 when it started. And then all of a sudden the builder couldn't get money and the bank closed everything off. And all of a sudden you're like, well, I didn't want this land. And now I have to pay on this land and no one wants to buy it. And now I've just, you know, we had good cash flow, but we didn't have the cash flow to support that extra load. I didn't think. And so I was like, oh crap, we're, I'm in another spot. And again, it was, it ended up being about a quarter of a million dollar loss. And I was thinking to myself, how I mean, the first experience, you know, when you're young, married, I'm like, my wife should go find someone better than me. You know, there's a lot of responsibility guys put on our shoulders where we're like, I'm the problem. And the same thing happened here. I'm like, I just compromised our financial future. I'm supposed to be the one protecting it and focused on it. And so it was, again, this spiral of what have I done? How's it going to work out? Lawyers are getting involved. You know, you have all these people suing everyone and you're trying to figure out how you can get out of it without getting destroyed. And I th- and again, I think my dad was very helpful, came over, talked with me and my parents as well. And they're like, okay. And like, we all make mistakes. And my dad talked to me about some of the mistakes he made of similar magnitude. <laughs> and was like, you know, this is, this is what sometimes happens and we do the best we can. And so it took me a little while to get through the frustration of it and get through all the legal stuff. I really, you know, it's, that's the stuff that I think hurts the most is it's just like, you kind of are, now we have to deal with legal. Now we're paying legal fees on top of this loss. And then once it finally kind of worked out and we're like, okay, here's the, you know, worked with the bank and saying, here's the payments we have to make. And again, my wife was like, we'll get through this. But it, a big thing that it made me realized was I do want to take risks in my business career and with some of these things, but I need to lower my risk profile. So that's really when I was like, I'm paying off all my debt, even though every financial planner will always tell you, why'd you pay off, you know, 3% loans or whatever it was? Well, because they're just focused on money. And I realized there's a big chunk of peace of mind. Like as soon as I had that peace of mind and I had all this debt off my plate, which took us about six or seven years to wipe out about $350,000 in debt because we were focused on it, but we were both working. It made my relationship closer. And I look at that in retrospect and think, I'm glad it happened then because I didn't have as much money. If it had happened later, it could have hurt me much more. So in retrospect, it was a good learning experience for me. It was just amazingly painful to go through. So you said there, as far as like the percentage of the finances, you know, like the 3% wasn't, you know, uh, like a fuller total calculation. Like it had other impacts, like the actions you took in get rid of, getting rid of the debt had like a bigger percentage payment or investment um, in your family. How do you, how do you weigh that out? Like, what do you consider when you're going like, okay, I can get rid of this but it'll impact my family in this negative way, or I can leave this and it'll impact it in a positive way. Like, how are you 
calculating that kind of stuff out? What are what's considered in those kind of decisions? I would say the biggest the biggest thing that I looked at is what is what is most important to me as a person? What is my top priority? And my top priority is being a good father to my kids. Of course, having the financial stuff is part of that. But if I'm in a financially stressed place because I'm trying to maximize my income and I'm always trying to chase the dollar, I don't see that I can be a good father because I've seen all the research. I need to spend time with my children. I need to, if I'm not teaching them, who is, it's not me, you know, they're learning from society. They're learning from friends. So my prioritization is what is best for my family first. And usually that's coming down to my mental health, my state, because I've seen it when my, when I get into a bad funky place, it's not just me who suffers. It's my children who don't even know what the problem is, but they're feeling the mental impact of that. They're feeling the relational stress in my, you know, and even just my mental, my disposition towards them, to my wife and towards life generally. So I'm prioritizing, what does it take for me to be in a good mental space? I still want to take risks, but I want to take them in a better space and I want to be able to uh, be there, be that, be in a good place for as a father. So to me, it's being a dad and a husband. And then I'm looking at it going, you know, I don't know, work is probably second. I mean, church work, those type of things are coming secondary because if I'm not a good father, you know, you can have all the money in the world and you see a lot of people who do this, they are really rich and then they get divorced and their children hate them. And I'm like, that's what a horrible place to be in life where you're like, that's the whole reason I was doing all that stuff. All of my effort was so that you would love me. And now it's made you hate me. And even if I have money, you know, being lonely and sick isn't a very good way to be either. Yeah, absolutely. So how do you, as you're going through these kind of situations, how do you make sure that you and your wife are on the same page? Like, I mean, we as guys can obviously like do and just plow the way and make decisions. But at some point, if you're going to want to finish well and still have your family intact and, um, you know, just be in a, in a happier position, you've got to engage in conversation with your wife. How did you go about um, kind of keeping that intact as you're going through these rougher, rougher challenges. To begin with, I never made any decisions on my own when they were big, right? So when we decided to put to do the studio behind the house and do this, we understood that it was going to be tricky or could be tricky, but both she and I decided together, here's what we are doing. It wasn't me saying, well, I'm the man and I decided this. It was is this going to be good for our family? Is this the type of life we want? And we said, yes. So when we went into it, it was both of us felt, uh, we felt like it was our decision, right? We felt engaged in the decision. And I've seen so often where people feel like they're not making those decisions and then they aren't married to them and then they blame their partner for them. You know, or if you, if you don't make any decision, then life just hits you. Then you're like, well, I don't like this. Well, there's life's going to happen. So in the situation with the dance school, we decided together. In the situation with this investment, we looked at it. We, you know, I talked to her. She's very intuitive. I so she's like, I'm like, well, where are we? Are you seeing it any different? No. Nope. Um, so that would be the biggest thing is just we were on the same page the whole time. 
So it wasn't just, hey, I made these decisions and it went bad. It was, no, we made these decisions together. And now we are both in the same boat of trying to, you know, bail out versus one person going, no, you can't keep screwing us up. So that was one thing. And there was a point in my relationship where my wife did say, why don't you just take care of all the finance? Just make all the decisions. And I'm like, I I don't want to do that. I don't think it's healthy for a relationship. It it does feel easier at times and it does feel frustrating, but I've tried to keep her involved in all of the decisions as we've made more money, as we've done bigger decisions on when to do things, how to do them. And we keep, keep aligned. I'm like, I don't want to spend large amounts of money one way or the other without her knowing. So it's crucial to, to keep your wife engaged and on the same page, not just when it's tough times, but when it's good times so that you have those to, to kind of look back upon and, and you're both invested, right? Hmm. Exactly. If you're, if you're not, if you're not both there, I mean, I've seen it with a number of people, they'll have children, but they were accidents or something. And then they don't really think like, I didn't choose this. Well, you didn't, but you know, you got to make the best of it. So I've been much more intentional about how do I make sure I'm making those choices and my wife's making them with me and my kids as well as we've gone through life. How do we do these things as a family? Not just, oh, I'm doing this and I'm going to rule from on high, like some men have tried to do. And then you end up with people becoming more distant and hating your dictatorship kind of thing. Yeah. Dictatorship doesn't work well. <laughs> it works, but not well. <laughs> let's let's make the distinction there. Uh-huh. Well, and, there, and like I say, my wife kind of, it's not uncommon for people to want to not have to think. Can I just not think about that part of the family and you not think about this? You take care of the child rearing and I'll take care of this. And as soon as you start to get overly specialized and not caring, I think that's when you end up with big problems because you can really start to drift. Like now I'm just trying to maximize money and you're just trying to maximize children. And maybe those are aligned in some way, but you've now, I mean, I think there's a place where for men, we need to be involved with our children's development, be involved with them. And there's some data that talks about men, boys and children with men are actually much smarter, like 15 points higher in IQ. And I had never seen that. And so you see these things and there's actually 50 different outcomes that are very negative for, for the family, but it's for the children, if men are not involved and all that stuff, I wasn't thinking about when I was going through all these financial times, like, oh, I'm so, woe is me sucks to be me. But I, and then I was like, well, maybe, you know, you definitely think about offing yourself sometimes. Like, how do I get out of pain? But then if you're looking that, cause you're thinking to yourself, at least I was, I'm useless. I'm not contributing. I, Uh, And then you look at it and say, no, no, you're contributing in all these other ways and you made a mistake here. Okay, we'll go fix, you know, finish, figure out that mistake. And then you'll have this massive impact on your family. But if you back out, you could completely destroy your family and you'll, and you'll probably not be happy and they sure as crap won't be happy either. Yeah, we get uh, focused on one area where we're failing and we're hypercritical of ourselves, you know in a degree that we're not with anybody else. Right. So you and I could go through the same thing. I'd look at you and go, ah, that's, that's just a flesh wound. Whereas for me, it's like life threatening, you know, artery cut off, you know? Um, but yeah, we, we, uh, showing ourselves grace and continuing to function and push on, like you've talked about, um, is a, makes a big difference. 
as far as uh like moving from there you faced another challenge um coming up like what what ended up happening and and how did you get through that yeah so then things started to go well i we, we were working well with financially i had i worked at a startup but we had got and it didn't go well with that startup but i made money you know just salary and then i started working at this company a friend had invited me to work at things were going really well and then the irs sent me a letter that we we're going to audit you and i don't know about you but i'm exceptionally creative in my mind about here's all of the things that could go wrong in this situation oh i could go to prison oh, i could lose my house i could and i just kept going through all of these things and it was exceptionally difficult you know and then they i call them up and they say well we'll do an audit and i think it was two or three months and so my brain just day in day out was okay what could go wrong but what you know i'd go like i still had to go to work still had to make things happen and so that time was at least a reprieve but normally where i'd come home help my kids with schoolwork that's when i was like in this state of just i mean cortisol induced high stress um man, I screwed up. And that, I, you know, I first reached out to a, a buddy of mine and talked to him about it. And then I talked with, a, I called up my account, an accountant friend of mine. And I was like, so here's what I'm going through. And it was amazing. Cause he was like, oh yeah, this happens all the time. Here, send me your stuff. We'll get you through this. Right. And I had been doing all the taxes and stuff. And he looked at him and he's like, where's your receipts? That was all that stress. But that was still good because I'm the doer, right? I'm like digging through all this stuff. And I'm like, well, did I do everything right on my taxes? I, don't, I kind of think the tax code's designed to make us so we can all be criminals, frankly. But <laughs> but I went through that and he was creative, just... Creative direction to like think the worst is going to happen, right? Uh -huh. So I, I was, you know, again, again, my dad was there, talked with him about it. And he's like, yeah, it'll, we'll figure it out. And then, but my accountant was, I've been through this, I've done it and you should have done some other things. So I ended up going through that highly stressed. Um, I did see the effect on my kids because I was just so creative in my thinking. And, but I ended up, you know, going through that, there was fairly marginal fee. I ended up having some penalty to pay, but then my accountant's like, Hey, if we do some other things and it'll be pretty much sixes. So he figured out, you know, how to restructure it, put in the right things. Cause I had been doing everything myself. And then I'm like, wow, <laughs> this was stressful. But as I, after I was through it, I'm like, I'm in such a better place and I'm never going to do that again. Like doing my own taxes was not worth the stress on my family. It's kind of that same thing. The mental stress that was there, it wasn't worth it. Even though you think in the moment, like, oh, I got to save money. And I'm like, why was I doing that? It just was stupid. So that's the type of stuff where I see, you know, reaching out to my, again, to most of my, my guy friends and then finding people who could help and who have been through it. I mean, I think you mentioned this before we started, like, I think I always felt like I was on this boat alone. And then as soon as you go through all these experiences of being unemployed and thinking, I got to get this stuff back on the road, going into big debt, making these different mistakes, having children in troublesome places. Once you start to hear other guys, you're like, like this is normal like this is life we all make some hiccups and then you find other guys who are like here's how i dealt with it and here's how you can do it so that's where i I've, I've been very encouraged and i've tried to do more of this with my family to extend this out to my my family is like 
dude, I don't want anyone to go through hard stuff. Like, here's all the crap that I've been through, which I didn't share very openly back then. But I was like, because, you know, there's some level of competition with your siblings. But it was like, here's all the crap I've been through. If you have questions, come to me first, please. Because there's no reason for you to have to go through the same crap that I did. And that's really where my, the point of my book is a little bit trying to help people expand their perspective because I was so focused on the money part that I kept neglecting the mental and the, the social part, which those things would have put me in a much better spot. So that's that's kind of what I realized is it's really about building this social network, even though guys, we tend to be fairly we tend to say we want to be alone, but then as soon as we want to do an activity like football or some sport, we'll get a whole group of people together. So it's this big thing of, for men, we want to do stuff. But to, so to me, it's just like, how do I get out there and invest in these people and and help them? Because it's not, there's very few big mistakes. I mean, there's some horrible mistakes you can make. Like I had a friend in this time period, and I talk about it in the book where 10 years ago, my mom sent me an email and it showed this guy who had been sentenced, getting sentenced for life and to life in prison without the chance of parole because he raped and almost murdered a girl who was like 20. And I was like, he was a friend when I was in high school. What happened? Right. And I saw, you know, you get caught up, you get isolated, you get on drugs, you get certain things happen. You don't have someone to be like, dude, what are you doing? And that's where I think a lot of guy friends and having a, a, a male network of just like, giving you the truth. Hey, you're, you're looking like crap, dude. Like, Let's get your stuff in order, right? You don't look healthy. You don't feel, seem happy. Those type of things are so useful for a group of guys because we'll just poke at each other, but really in a loving way. Yeah. And I think having like that external perspective also helps us to like balance out. Sometimes we'll be feeling like garbage and somebody's like, no, you're doing better than you think just because we're like so hypercritical or when we get inflated, somebody brings us back to <laughs> back down to reality and earth. Uh -huh. It's like, you're not all that in a bag of chips, you know? Um, but it's also like, you've, you've talked about, you know, you were thinking, oh my gosh, this rabbit trail just goes all the way to jail and I'm it never going to recover. And your accountant's like, yeah, this is normal. You know, like I've gone through this. You're you're not the first. You're not the only. And oh, by the way, here's how we can improve this result. So um, often our imagination will take us to places that uh, <laughs> are sci, you know, kind of sci-fi and fantasy, uh, not in the good way. It's kind of more of the dark side. But um, yeah, community, brothership, you know, like brotherhood and having that relationship just makes a huge difference. Um, and I think it also gives us an opportunity to see, like I could see, hey, Aaron's got the relationship with his children, you know, really in a great place. Aaron, what are you doing that I could do differently? So living in proximity to other men gives us a chance to see that something, you know, something that we're doing can be done differently and in a better way. So um, what are some like ideas you've talked about, like the 3%? Um, you know, taking care of that and having an, a larger return in your family and then, you know, okay, I'm not going to save a little bit on doing taxes on my own, but giving it to my accountant, like, what are some of the other things that like you've talked about in the book that, that, um, are like contrary to like popular beliefs, you know, Hey, you want to go this direction, but 
that's because everybody's telling you that and it doesn't actually end up live, you know, leading to a great place. Like what are some other things that, that you've uh, discovered along the way that, that you would share as far as, Hey, consider this biggest, the biggest one that I've found. And I saw this when I built the book and I have a, it has a model in there because it's an engineering. I, how do I deal with all the pieces? But when I put the model together, it became clear to me that I was underinvesting in social resources, right? In a business, I call social resources, that's your brand, that's your sales and marketing, right? Those are super important, important parts of a business. And so if you and your wife are both working, kind of like my wife and I were, well, you might have better financial returns, but then you're going to have weaker social connections. And so what I've found. When I looked at that, I was like, I need to invest more in my social connections. I, I, I kind of had done that. I had church stuff, but I was looking at it like, how do I invest in those relationships and how do I do opportunities for those relationships? And to give an, a fun example, I had these massive trees in my front yard, five trees, and they were shooting up hundreds, if not thousands of shoots every year, some of them going through my asphalt. And I was like, they had been one tree in the beginning, but it was just, and I have a septic tank. So it was just connected to unlimited food and water. And this thing was going crazy. And I was like, I need to get rid of this because it's going to destroy my house. I mean, it was coming into the garage. <laughs> I'm like, holy cow. So I thought I went and got a bid, you know, oh, from an arborist. Oh, it'll cost me four, I think it's four grand to take this down. But then I thought, you know, I have this work and I could, I don't have a big opportunity to work with my children or with my brother. So I called my brother over and worked with my kids and my family. And we started to take down the trees in the course of it. We took down one, dropped one into the house, you know, dented the roof, knocked, bent the rain gutter, wasn't huge damage. But then I had someone from my church come over and he was, he just drive, he was just driving by and he's like, Hey, what are you doing? Can we do a service project? And I was like, okay. So then he called, he then, you know, the following Sunday was like, Hey, let's do this service project. There's all this work, bring chainsaws. And so we had all these men show up with their sons because all these guys are like, well, we're all tech guys or most of them work in white collar stuff, but we don't want to, but we got to use chainsaws. And so it was amazing. The number of people, even one guy who wasn't a member of the church, he just wanted to be part of the community. He showed up at my door on Thursday before the Saturday and said, hey, okay, let's look it out, scope it out. I've, I'm from Canada. I've cut a lot of trees down because we used to heat with wood. And he kind of was the foreman of the job. And then we had 11 or 12 guys and their sons show up and people borrowed wood chipper, chainsaws, all this stuff. And we took them all down. And it built the social connections, right? If with those people, one of those people ended up you know, um, recruiting me to the job that actually helped me do really well financially. So I built those social connections. Another one, I worked with him as well. And so I look at that, like that built those relationships so much tighter. So I could have had a loss of financial resources of $4,000 with no social return, but instead I saved $4,000 and had a massive investment in my social connections, both with my family and with my community. And so that's the type of stuff where I think quite often as men, we're like, well, I'm going to go do this big project. I'm going to do it alone. Go get some guys to do it. We all want to do stupid things. 
We all want to, you know. <laughs> and then you have memories. I'm <laughs> sitting here, Aaron. I'm like going, that's a lot of people with chainsaws, man. <laughs> it was. It was a lot of fun. I mean, donuts and chocolate milk. You know what I mean? So you look at it and you're like, I didn't. You know, if you don't view that as an investment, if you don't look at that, then you're actually losing your re- financial resources and losing an opportunity of social connections. And and those, like I say, those connections are so valuable in our lives. And I think we under um, we under account for them. You know, like if we looked at it every time we move, we're destroying all of our social connections pretty much. And then we go to a new place and then you'll often find like, man, we really feel alone as a family and your wife maybe feels isolated. And they're like, yeah, because you need to now reinvest in all those social connections that you just lost. And so I think we need to focus a lot more on social instead of just this push for financial where it's like, hey, I'm going to work. My wife's going to work. Everyone goes to work and we're just trying to make most money. Yeah. And then we're sad and we're all on drugs and we all need therapy and we don't feel like we have a good community. And you're going, well, that's because we're not investing in our connections to other people. We're just trying to maximize our money. So I would say that's the the biggest thing that I see is that relationship, those social connections. And I mean, second, the, the other part of that social connection would be to your spouse. You know, you have to invest in that constantly because you're going to have hard times. And if you haven't, you don't have a bank account built up with your spouse, you can end up in divorce. And that's a massive destruction of wealth, both social connections, financial, all sorts of problems. Yeah. And if you're both working, I mean, it's in your family is where it's like, I need to invest here and then outside because it's like, I've seen other guys that have just been like, yeah, I'm going to go play golf. I'm going to go do this, you know, and you're missing almost like the foundation of your social structure, right? You're building a house. If you don't build the foundation, which is with your wife and children, the rest of it's just on borrowed time. So yeah, I agree with you. They're both important. Well, and that's the other thing I've seen as guys, most guys to your point, they like golf. I like to ski, you know, and I like to do it, but it was expensive. And then I had a friend, a wise guy. I was like, so expensive. Why would you do it? And he's like, Here's why, because I have all this time with my wife and my kids. We have time building this relationship. We also have time where they're learning harder and harder things. Like you go down the green runs, then you learn how to do those. Okay, now it's time for blues, then it's black, right? You go through this learning cycle. And after he explained it to me, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Went and talked to my wife and she's like, we should do it. And I was like, and then we did it all as a family. And it's something that I like to do as a guy go do physical things. And then we did it as a family and everyone loves it. We all enjoyed the time. We built strong relationships doing it. And it's, so I think a lot of times with guys, we're like, I need to go off and do my own thing. But if you take your kids and take them golfing, or if you take them to do work or take them fishing, take them on those activities you love to do, then that you spend this time, you're not only getting your relaxing time, but you're also investing in your relationship with your kid. That's this concept that I, I call super investing where you're getting both a return in one relationship and a return in your your physical health or, you know, maybe financial return, but also in relationships. Yeah. It's not that you can't have like that, you know, alone time, almost like a lone wolf aspect of it, but it's that there's a balance. You, you have to invest in both 
um, in order to see the returns you're expecting. Because otherwise, if it's just in the lone wolf kind of bank account, that's the only place it's going to be and the rest of it ends up bankrupt. So, um, well, hey, Aaron, how can men get in touch with you outside of the podcast? Yes, I have the the books on Amazon. I have a website called thefamilyflywheel.com. I have a lot of resource in helping you go through your family business model, your resources. Um, If you'd like to find me, I'm on Facebook at Aaron K. Shelley and also LinkedIn. Uh, In the next bit, I'm building an app that'll hopefully help men and families with a lot of the structural pieces. So that'll be coming soon, but that'll be on thefamilyflywheel.com. So those are the main ways. Sounds like uh, there's still more to come in helping us map it out. Man, yep. I appreciate it, Aaron. Thank you very much for your uh, opening up and sharing that it's like, hey, things don't have to be all of what we are envisioning them to uh, to necessarily be. And that community with other men is a you know crucial component of just actually, actually being able to be successful in uh, how we move forward with our family. So I appreciate it. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, Mike. It's been fun. Absolutely. Thanks so much, my friend, for joining me on another episode. If you found the information within the show helpful, please leave a review on the platform you're listening to. It helps raise the show's visibility so other men can join us in breaking free. See you on the next episode. And remember to continue putting yourself out there. Have a great one.